Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information about our work. You can send along a comment on our contact form or feel free to email me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Well, we have reached uh, Romans 10. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about big central themes throughout Paul's teaching in his epistle to the church at Rome. And we've talked a lot about God's sovereignty. We've talked about man's sinful state. We've talked about justification by faith and a number of other topics, just kind of addressing them as they come. This is a a survey of the book of Romans, Paul's epistle to the church at Rome not a deep dive, or we would be moving much more slowly. Well, we've we've talked about man's condemnation, and Paul goes pretty deep here in Romans, theologically speaking. On, on the surface, it looks maybe maybe like the language is very simple, and he has these long run-on sentences, and yet, there's significant depth here. And I think uh, we misunderstand sometimes the, just the, the level of depth because we don't pull back and see the, the big picture. Paul's going to talk in, in chapter 10 of Romans. And I know chapter nine, we just, we just covered chapter nine last week. And I know that's the, one of the chapters that people who are accused of being hyper Calvinists will well, they'll go to Romans 9 and talk about uh, Esau and Jacob, like we said last time, and we're not going to uh, go through that again today. But there is a doctrine of election and predestination and in, in Scripture, and God is entirely sovereign, completely sovereign. And yet, no person on this earth has ever been condemned by anything other than their own sin. Man is responsible. We actively make decisions. Our pastor, Mike Francis, years ago, would hold his hands in fists as far apart as he could stretch his arms, and he would say, is God entirely sovereign? And look at one of the hands, yes, but then you look the other way and say, but does man make decisions? And the answer is yes. And, you know, we say it different ways, but I think it's important to talk about this very candidly and, and talk about what we know versus what we don't know and to try to avoid uh, speculation. So we honestly don't know how those things work together, how man makes choices and God is entirely just in letting man 
requiring man to live with consequences of those choices because of his righteousness. And God is entirely sovereign in all things. But the mystery lies in this, and that is, he didn't allow us, he didn't create wind-up dolls. He didn't create a people who whose entire life was predetermined. And I, I know some of you are going to cringe when you hear me say that. Some of my good friends probably cringe when I say that. He allows man to make choices. Is he surprised by any of our, our choices because of his omniscience? No. His being timeless, not bound by space or time, allows him to have foreknowledge of everything we're going to do. And then you get into the, well, why doesn't he change our decisions? If he loves us, why does he make them all good? Because he created creatures who have volition. And and, and that, I know that's complicated for all of us to grasp. And I know well-meaning theologians take various sides of this issue, look at it through various lenses and in, 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 in various ways from different perspectives. And I know they can just be confusing and even incredibly disappointing and even place burdens on us. You leave sometimes a lecture or a sermon or a, a YouTube video or a book and you say, wow, I, I didn't think of it that way before. That doesn't sound right, but it, it's kind of blowing my mind. So my goal is to not do that today, but to, again, talk about what the scripture actually says. So let's just jump in and see what we have here in Romans chapter 10. It's interesting if you, if you are in a church that, uh, where the pastor or pastors teach Romans from time to time or reference it from time to time, you, you might agree with me, and you, and you might not, but you, you might agree that chapter 10 is kind of the forgotten chapter. Chapter 11 is often quoted because of the last few verses of chapter 11. Chapter 12 is often referenced because of Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And, and then you, you go on through, through the rest of the book. You know, obviously chapters one, two, and three are very important. Four is important. Five is important. Six, I, you know, everybody kind of knows what all those are. But you get to ten, and it's and it's it's sort of forgotten. But I think Paul is is making a point. He has talked about the sovereignty of God in everything, and then it's almost like he puts the brakes on, like you would if you were talking to a child and you were concerned that the child was going to just hear your instruction about the matter at hand. And he says, well, hold on a second, though. Man is still responsible. Here's what it says. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So he's talking about the Jewish people. He just referenced them in chapter 9. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So they're enthusiastic, they're just wrong. Not according to knowledge, not based on knowledge. See, Paul doesn't need to differentiate, thankfully. When he says knowledge, he's talking about knowledge of truth. 
he's not talking about knowledge of error. It wouldn't occur to him to be a postmodernist or to be even concerned about words not having meaning. This is how people communicated during this day, thankfully. They used words, those words had meaning. So, but not according to knowledge. So they have a zeal, they're enthusiastic, they're zealous, they've got good intentions, this implies, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, that is God's justifying sense of sense of justice, his it's not just a sense of justice, his being morally right, pure before the law, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So he's saying the Jewish people thought they'd be righteous on their own. The same problem we've talked again and again about that Adam had, Eve had, everyone ever born on this earth has had, you have and I have. This wanting to be self-righteous, self-sufficient, apart from God. And then, then he says in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And we've talked about this before. Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. Then in verse 5 he says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. Remember justification, that being declared righteous, having righteousness imputed, having, having the score corrected. It's kind of an accounting term. The righteousness is credited to our account. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, in a sense, salvation is very simple and straightforward. And you can't convince me, after reading this, that Paul is saying something other than we man makes choices. Now, he's taunting in a sense, he's challenging, he's pushing back on, he's using inflammatory language when he says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. He's talking, I realize this is complex, it's foreign to us, 
Gentiles in the year 2022. But commentators think that that he's taunting here and he's and he's talking about no one can go to heaven. He's talking about who God is, who Jesus Christ is. No one can probe and find him in heaven and and no one can find him in the abyss because he's risen. And and he, he's making a powerful point and, and he goes on to say the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So man is involved in making a decision. I, I know some of my friends don't like the language that says that a person received Christ as long as you say receive Christ as Savior and Lord and you glorify God in the way you say that, I'm, I'm okay with it. I don't like the terminology, I accepted Christ, although lots of good people use that terminology and I believe they are saved. But Paul is simply saying man is involved. Man is responsible. Man is, man is, is not unjustly condemned he's talking about personal responsibility personal accountability and i i can't i cannot stand that word personal accountability because it gets misused for i want you to do what i want to tell you to do whether it makes sense or not in in a, in a lot of settings but this this personal responsibility is actually very helpful for us to understand we're responsible for what we do with Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is very practical. He's, he's both strategic and complicated in a sense and very practical in his writing. And in verse 14, he, he changes gears a bit, although he's still talking about the same topic, general topic. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. There's a lot here to talk about. Very practically, Paul is talking about knowledge again. We talked about the fact that that he used that uses that word that we translate Gnostic. I believe back in chapter six, I, I know he, he he talks about that concept again in Romans twelve with the renewing of our minds, this this refurbishment, remodeling, reconstruction of our minds. Paul is saying knowledge is important. Faith and knowledge relate to each other. They don't oppose each other. A a faith informed by, by reason, by knowledge, by information is good, he's saying here. 
How, how are they to believe in him of whom, whom they've never heard? Knowing who God is, I know I say this a lot. It's so important. It's not just academic. If you study the true living God of this universe, the God of scripture, you're not wasting your time. You're not doing something contrary to your faith. I'm not, as I prepare to teach classes at Circle Christian School, and, and I try to probe the depths of scripture, of, of even you know, understanding the, the specific words that are used and the parts of speech and how, what the meaning is and where they're used elsewhere, that, that isn't just an academic exercise. It's, it's not. It grows my faith. When we discuss spiritual things, scripture, with each other, as long as we're talking about the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of who God really is, we're not doing something contrary to faith. This belief or faith that Paul references says, he is saying here that it grows through preaching. And how are they, how are they to preach unless they're sent? Paul is saying, look, on a human level, humans are responsible Preachers need to be sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, who preach the gospel. Paul is advocating here for preaching the gospel. But they've not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The gospel, scripture itself, the word of God, actually informs our faith, grows our faith. We sometimes, and I, I know I'm, I'm probably beating this to death for some of you, but, but it just annoys me that we, we think of faith and reason as opposing each other. Now, now that person's reasonable. They're a scientist. They, they're a secularist. They, they believe in reason. But I'm over here with a bunch of faith and I just, I just believe. I just have faith. And, and, it, and it doesn't work that way. You know, we, we almost treat it like, and I, now I know I said this about a year ago on this podcast and I say it in my classes all the time. We, we treat it like we have this container, this, this one of those big buckets that, you know, might hold 50 gallons of water. And, and we, get, we get a certain capacity, in other words, for our philosophical makeup, the content of our, of our philosophical, whatever it is. And, and we treat it like we can fill the bucket with either faith or reason or some combination of faith and reason. And, and then it's full and we're done. Oh, I'm about 60% faith and about 40% reason. Well, that's not what scripture teaches. That's, that's not how it works. Our faith grows as our knowledge grows, Paul is saying here. And, and our knowledge is to come from the word of God. So if we want to grow our faith, do we just have to strain and try harder? Well, there's nothing wrong with trying harder. 
But Paul makes it clear. I mean, there, there's there's a lot to talk about here. We Paul is making clear the fact that studying the word of God, the gospel, preaching the gospel to ourselves, the true gospel of Jesus Christ will grow our faith. The more you know, the more we know, the more our faith grows. And now Christ is our intercessor. The Holy Spirit is making intercession for us as well. We, we have another means of grace called prayer. Uh, and and we, we, can, we can grow in, in the faith a number of ways. But all of this is predicated, I believe, based on what Paul is teaching here, on human responsibility to study the word of God. There's just, there's no way around it. And I, and I, I want to talk about something very practical. I, that, that he didn't say reading a self-help, a new self-help book every month. And, and there's nothing wrong with some self-help books. I don't even know what I mean when I say self-help books. I mean books about scripture, biblical topics, Christianity, uh, uh, go make your life better, uh, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, all, all that stuff. I, I think some of the, those two guys in particular are dangerous. I think the whole Amway thing, I, I, there, that's another topic for another day. But this, this whole I can think my way into prosperity is absurd. And I've read lots of good books. I, I, I like reading Tim Keller, John Piper, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul. I've got some secular business writers I really enjoy. I, I, I like the work of Thomas Sowell in economics and Milt Friedman. And, and they've, they've, they've written some good information that is useful to me. But when it comes right down to it, on matters of faith, matters of eternal importance, we are to rely on the word of God. And we should be very careful. You know, we shouldn't say, oh, that's the gospel coalition. I just, I just love them. Or, or that's the, that, that he's an Acts 29, he, you know, he's, he's a, I, I just love Matt Chandler and everything he's ever said. And, and I don't, but I, I'm, I'm, I have friends who talk like this. Or, oh, can you believe Tim Keller said the following in answer to a question in an interview, his teaching was so good. And now I'm going to dismiss him altogether. Or, or they're affiliated with X, you know, in my world, it's often the gospel coalition or, or, Oh, he's a Southern Baptist preacher or he's in the PCA. And, and I, I know we look for vetting and credibility and all of that, but scripture is our source of truth. It is. And I, 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 I guarantee you some of you say, well, that's just so boring. I just can't understand. I need a devotional guide to help me. Well, you, you don't, if you can read. And obviously, if the devotional guide helps you, you can read. And I get that. I was impacted years ago by a number of books I read that now I look back and I think, oh, there was some heresy in those books. But they, but they were helpful. They nudged me along. But I, I, would, I would urge all of us, and I'm talking to me, 
to desire the meat of God's word, not shallow drivel. And I hope this podcast points you, points us to scripture. Don't rely on the words that I say about scripture unless I'm reading it word for word. And I've been doing that throughout this series. When I start throwing around my opinion, test it with scripture. The Apostle Paul is a brilliant writer. He's writing strategically and he's introducing in chapter 10 this. He's introduced it before, but he's really focusing on man's responsibility. So let's look at the rest of the chapter. We're near the end. Verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, and these are obviously Old Testament quotes, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, in the last verse of chapter 10, verse 21, all day long I have held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And then he's going he's gonna to talk about the remnant of Israel in chapter 11. And, and so we're going to go there in a few minutes, but, but I, I just want to pull back again and look at this. What, what, what is Paul actually teaching in, in Romans 10? He establishes the preeminence of Jesus Christ over the law and his righteousness for everyone who believes early in chapter 10. And then for this audience in Rome, he references Moses and a righteousness that is based on the law that the person who who does the commandment shall live by them. And then he says, but the righteousness based on faith, and he explains what that looks like. Our righteousness, Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. And, and this, this notion of being saved, Paul talks about, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing the riches on all who call on his riches on all who call on him. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a beautiful promise. The gospel is clear. It's very direct. Paul is saying there's human responsibility to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Somehow we are involved in making a decision to trust Christ. And yet God is sovereign in all matters, including salvation. I, I don't just believe that to be true. I know it to be true because that's what scripture teaches. And it teaches it beautifully. And then he talks about the need to preach, to teach. 
And he talks about faith coming from hearing by hearing and hearing from the word of God. Well, let's look at chapter 11 and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll visit uh, the end of chapter 11 uh, next time, but let's get started on it anyway. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Hmm, that's interesting. It ties back to Romans eight twenty nine. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who've not bowed the knee to Baal or Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So there is a remnant he's referencing. I'm, I'm encouraged by this. This Israel was disobedient. They, they worshipped a false god. This god, Baal or Baal, sometimes called, sometimes pronounced, was the god of fertility. And yet the true living god caused a drought in all of Israel while they were worshipping this god of fertility. In a sense, challenging this false god, who isn't real, challenging this notion in the heads of people of Israel sort of to a duel and the true living God won but there was a remnant and then in verse 7 he says what what then Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking the elect obtained it but the rest were hardened as it is written God gave them a spirit of stupor eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day why were they hardened was God unjust in hardening them? These are my words. I'm not reading from Romans 11 any longer. Well, Paul's going to go on to answer that. But no, this is man's responsibility. They were given a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see because of their sin. And again, I know that flies in the face of some of the teaching of some of you and some of the teaching that you've heard. And, and, and I, I'm, just, I'm just reading the scripture. And I want to be careful with it. So let's go on. Let's be sure we get this in context. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So it's their trespass. Their sin. God used their sin and salvation came to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous, he says here. In verse 12, now if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles in as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? 
If the dough offered as a first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Wow. Here we go. Verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be ignorant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. Do you hear that? They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear or, or respect is a good synonym of that word of heavy duty respect. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note that the kindness and the severity, note then the kindness and the severity of God Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. I, I, I just see again and again how Paul is talking about personal responsibility and how it works here with God's sovereignty. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Now, he's teaching that the Jewish people, he's talking to the Gentiles, he made that clear at the beginning of this section, And he's teaching that Jewish people who come to faith in Christ will be saved. Just the way Gentiles are. Then he goes on in verse 25, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Now I pay attention when the Apostle Paul calls something a mystery. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will, be, will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And then listen to this beautiful section. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Just think about that for a second. This is the Apostle Paul. Oh, the depth of the riches. He's just proclaiming this. The depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments 
and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? We act like that, don't we, sometimes? You hear people say it all the time, how could God? God, how could you? If you're, if you're omniscient, if you're, if you're omnibenevolent and omnipotent and omniscient, why don't you stop doing X? Why don't you end this in the world? We do this all the time. His, his judgments are unsearchable, Paul says, and his ways are inscrutable. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? We act all the time like we are his counselor. He is like he is subject to us. And he is not. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? You think about it. What do we humans have to give to God? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. It is drives me crazy when pastors and theologians and teachers assume, make assumptions about, or are guilty of eisegesis reading into the text. I think we have to be careful with that. I, I, I don't think we should cop out and say, well, everything's a mystery. Because everything is not a mystery. But but having a God's eye view, having God's perspective on these doctrines is incredibly difficult for us. I think we have to realize we function on a very human level. And yes, God is sovereign, including in salvation. But man makes decisions and man is accountable. And God is just. We know some things from the entire New Testament about God's character. We know he's loving. We know he's gracious. We know he's full of mercy. We know he's not willing that any should perish. We know that man is sinful and self-reliant, self-sufficient. And that man rejects God in our, in our, natural, in our natural state, in our flesh. We're haters of God. And yet he pursues us in salvation. We know that to be true. And then we know also that man makes decisions. We decide whether we're going to sin or not. We decide whether we're going to trust God or not. We decide whether we're going to spend time in God's word as Paul instructed us in the last chapter, in chapter 10, or if we're just going to wing it, or we're going to ignore him altogether. And I, I know I'm, I'm meddling and pushing a little bit here because Paul does... We're, we're going to get to uh, next week a beautiful section in Romans 12 that will bring some clarity, some beautiful clarity. If you're saying, okay, I get it. I make decisions. I'm accountable. I believe God is also sovereign, it is, is eminently sovereign, but, but I want to know how to do this. How does this actually work? How am I to look at this? What about church? What about my church? What about other believers? How, how, do, I, how do I do what I intend to do as I grow in Christ? 
How, 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 how do I live the Christian life? We're going to talk about that next week. And it's, it's just incredible. Paul is teaching powerful truth here in, in Romans 10 and 11. He's talking about man's responsibility and he's talking about God's, the, the mysteries of, of Israel and their salvation. And I realize to read these sections can be challenging to study these sections, but we see some truth in here. We see truth, just like we said in chapter nine, we see truth that we can apply. We see some things that reference mysteries for sure, but we also see some things about God's character and about how he has assigned man to make choices, to make decisions. We see a little bit, we get a little taste for how he deals with Israel and Gentiles. And we, what we really see is just how justification by faith is to inform our lives. We even see the role of pastors, preachers in here, in this section. And we, we understand that, that they are important. That, that is, our society doesn't value them, but people who preach the gospel, and I'm, I, I'd cast a wide net when I say that, are to be incredibly valued. They are incredibly valued by scripture. And we're all to preach the gospel and teach the gospel. But I'm talking about pastors, preachers. So I hope this is helpful. I hope you'll uh, come back next time, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna cover Romans twelve. We're really in the home stretch where Romans twelve is just beautiful. I, I urge you, uh, as I have in the past, to read it every day for a week, and then uh, next time we'll talk about it. It is difficult for me to cover that chapter in just one podcast episode, but we're gonna do it, and uh, we're just surveying the book, and then. We've just got a few chapters left and we're in the home stretch of this uh, beautiful epistle. I hope you've been uh, with me from the beginning. And if not, please go back and listen to those episodes. We're going to go back to bring in some uh, special guests along the way coming up in a few weeks. So thank you for your support of uh, Relentless Truth. We're, we're, we're well past the one year point now. I think we're, boy, we're almost two months past the... Uh, the one year point and uh, I couldn't have envisioned this happening. I'm so encouraged by your comments and your support. Uh, thank you. Sincerely. Thank you. It's a, it's a worthwhile work and I hope you're benefiting from this study. If you are, please go to our website, johnmorenmedia.com. Send along a comment on our contact form, or you can email me at john at johnmorenmedia.com. Please uh, find us wherever you go to get your podcasts feel free to give us a, uh, a review and uh, don't hesitate to like and subscribe to Relentless Truth. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. 
That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. Thank you.